deliver us the word of God. Pastor Ming Chang, please. Today is, uh, is the second sermon in this series, in our new series, uh, Supernatural Realm 2. And the title of our sermon today is Pentecost Sunday, Reclaiming the Nations. This weekend is Pentecost, which in Greek means 50, and refers to the 50th day after the Jewish Passover. Now, someone actually counted there are 154 occurrences of 50, the number 50, in the Bible. Uh, coincidentally, 50 is also the current number of congregants allowed in a worship service without pre-event testing. Well, the Hebrew e equivalent of Pentecost is Shavuot, which is the feast of uh, harvest or weeks, which is seven times seven. You can see how that is close to 50. This feast signifies uh, the end of the spring harvest and the beginning of the summer harvest. If you want to learn more about this, uh, please tune in to Pastor Wilson's sermon on Pentecost Sunday, March the 31st uh, last year, 2020. Now, this annual feast gathering with the bringing of the tithe of the first fruits uh, is also the reason why in the in book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we find thousands of Jews from the diaspora gathered in Jerusalem. Who were these Jews from the diaspora? These were the Jews who remained in a foreign land. Even after exile, they didn't return to Jerusalem. But at least that time of the year, they came together to offer their tithe because of the Feast of Harvest. Now, somewhere from the middle of the 2nd century, 2nd century BC, Shavuot had become the day to commemorate the anniversary of the giving of the law, God, God's law to Moses, which marked what? The birth of the nation Israel. You say, Pastor, all this is well and good, but how does this affect me as a believer in the New Testament? How is it even significant for us? Well, in the same way, Pentecost marks the birth of the church as the new divine and human family of God, working now not in opposition to one another, but working together as God's images to fulfill God's Edenic vision. I shall unpack more of this uh, later in the sermon as we go along. But think about it, where the disciples were at this time. Jesus had already ascended, and but Jesus gave them a command to be his witnesses. How were they going to do it? Were they supposed to do it uh, based on their own abilities, strength, or were they uh, left to their own devices? Thankfully, no, which leads us to the big idea of today's sermon. We are to continue Christ's mission to the nations with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so the significance of Pentecost for us today is seen in three aspects. Babel is reversed, Eden project uh, resumed, and power received. But first, let's look at the incident um, of Babel reversed. Now, Babel reversed is a way of, another way of saying Babel U-turn uh, or Babel Gostan. Eh? So something must have happened in Babel that you need to re reverse. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 8. So verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, 
because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking, all these who are speaking, Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Something spectacular happened on that first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Something so dramatic and something so extraordinary that would have made the local news and documented for posterity. Luke, the writer of Acts, indeed records this event, but not just as history, but an event that, is, that has deep theological intent and connection to the Babel event, which is in Genesis 11. So what is so spectacular? First, we see a, the, the supernatural manifestation. The words, the phrases, like a mighty rushing wind, as of fire, are frequent Old Testament symbols of the visible manifestation of Yahweh's glory and essence. This was a divine counter of the supernatural kind, similar to the appearances of God's presence and glory among His people in the Old Testament. Many times, this appearance, these supernatural appearances, would be there to vindicate, validate, authenticate the call and the ministry of the Old Testament prophets. But here in Acts, it is the commissioning of the disciples as, though, as those who would carry on and continue Christ's mission after His ascension. Second, we see something, the special place of tongues. So these were not literal tongues. Tongues is used here as, uh, as the same as language, like, like how we use the mother tongue. Have you ever wondered why your, your native language or your native dialect is, uh, is considered the mother tongue? Some people think it's because the father never gets in the word. Or, or because the father is never there to, to speak enough to be a father tongue. But the place of tongues or the issue of tongues is, is both, it occurs both uh, in Genesis 11 as well as in uh, Acts 2. Because the issue there is one of communication and how they were to understand the message communicated. To go back to uh, Babel, let's look at Genesis 11, verse 1, 4, 6, and 7. Verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down at there and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So to disrupt the building of this ziggurat, this superstructure that was supposed to reach heaven, God confused their language so that the rebel builders would not understand each other. So the word here, confuse, in the Greek version, uh, the Greek tra translation of the Hebrew text is the word sunkeo. Sunkeo, okay? God confused them. But in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 6, this same word is used, but more positively. How? In Acts 2, 6, they said uh, they were bewildered. The, the crowd, they were bewildered because they could, not un they could now understand what the disciples were saying. So the same word, sunkeo. In Genesis, it's, it's the word to confuse. They were confused. They couldn't understand. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 6, the same word, bewildered now, confounded, because now they could understand. They could understand what the disciples were saying in their own native language. So Acts 2 connects with the incident at Babel 
And this connection is not incidental or accidental. It is obvious. Both have to do with speakings or with, the, with tongues, with the speech. And this pointed to the disciples' future ministry, speaking ministry of bringing the message of the gospel to the nations. This phenomenon of one message, but in many languages, paved the way for them to reframe Jesus' great commission to cover beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. So also at the first Pentecost, we see the example of how the scattered were regathered. Okay? A result of Babel was that Yahweh scattered the people over the face of the earth. Now that was intentional because after the flood, Noah was commanded to continue the, what? the Eden project. This word is coined by Randy Clark. What is this Eden project? This Eden project was God's original mandate to Adam and Eve to extend Eden globally, to populate the earth until the whole earth takes on the face and the nature of Eden. But at Babel, there was this scattering, right? God scattered them. And this scattering caused division among the ethnic groups, a situation that is sadly still rampant today. You know, even though a pandemic of this nature should actually bring people together, should cause people to band together, uh, to work together against a common enemy, which is the COVID-19. So how was this Babel's division? How was this scattering uh, reversed at Pentecost? Acts 2 verse 16 to 18. But this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on the male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so from this prophecy of Joel, we see that the Holy Spirit was to be poured on all flesh. And that happened on the day of that first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. So type in the chat, all. What is all? All means all. Sons, daughters, young, old. Uh, those, um, the poor, the rich. It means the Holy Spirit is made available to all. No racial, no ethnic, no language, no cultural, no political uh, discrimination. The giving of God's Spirit at Pentecost cancels out age, gender, and social biasness. No marginalization, no exploiting, no dehumanization, no oppression, no prefer uh, pre preferential treatment, but mutual respect and dignifying of all mankind as one community and family before God. So we can learn this, that the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost marks the reversal of the confusion at Babel and also the beginning of the regathering of the scattered people back to God. All right, Babel reversed. Second, at Pentecost, we see this, the Eden project resumed. So after the Babel incident, right after Genesis 11, in Genesis 12, God chose one man from among them who, whom he would enter into the covenant with by which a nation would emerge showcasing the rulership of Yahweh. What is this covenant? This covenant is it's this relationship of agreement. In this case, between two. But we see that God was doing most of the work in maintaining this relationship. This man that God chose was the man Abraham. And so, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Let's read the calling of Abraham. Now the Lord to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you see in these three verses, five times God declares that he will. I will, I will, I will. What's the, the thing that uh, Abraham needed, needed to do? Only one. He needed just to go. That was all. Everything else in this covenant was maintained by God. What was God's mission for his covenantal people? What was that? Go to be blessed in order to be a blessing to the rest of humankind. Type in the chat. We are blessed to be a blessing. So the mission, though, was sadly never fully realized. As in time, the nation of Israel, which came from Abraham, later called Abraham, instead of leading the nations to, to Yahweh, was herself led astray to worship the gods and the idols of the other nations. And so the Eden project was forgotten, forsaken, abandoned. Have you ever felt like that? You know, have you ever had to abandon a project that you started and then you put all your heart, your hopes, your energy in, and for one reason or another, it had to, you know, you had to drop that and start something else. You know how, how sad that might have been. But throughout the history of Israel, we catch glimpses of what God wanted to do. God still wanted this mandate, this mission to continue, this Eden project to continue. How do we know that? Because we see prophets like Isaiah confirms this. Right? Isaiah 66, verse 18 to 19, the last chapter of Isaiah, actually. God said, for I know their works. Who is there? This remnant, this remnant wayward Israel. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming together, all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign, sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tashish, to Pearl, to Lud, who draw the bowl, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. Wow. See, no matter how badly Israel failed, her mission to be a blessing to the nations, Yahweh would not relent in letting the nations see His glory. He Himself would ensure that the nations would be gathered in His time. So Pentecost actually signified the resumption of this mission, this Eden project. All right, we also see the continuation of this mission at the first Pentecost. Acts 2, 5 and 11b. 5, verse 5. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And after, uh, it goes on to recount um, the list of nations according to the table of nations from Genesis 10. It continues, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the people who were gathered there from every surrounding nations who spoke different dialects suddenly heard them speak in Singlish. Huh? How did that happen? You see, if you were traveling overseas to a foreign land far, far away from here, and suddenly everybody is speaking Singlish. You, know? you want to stay around to find out what happened, right? Why? So they did. So intrigued by this phenomenon, this, this miraculous speaking, they stayed to hear the preaching of Peter. And about 3,000 of them responded to his call to repentance, and they were baptized. Now, this 3,000 diaspora Jews who had believed and were powerfully transformed would carry this message back to their own communities. This is akin to what we call today reverse missions or local missions, where um, we reach out to migrant workers or our, even our dom domestic helpers. 
reach out to them with the message of the gospel. And when they receive that gospel, when they go back to their home, they will be what witnesses of the same gospel. They will bring their go the gospel back to their homeland. So literally, this is missions at our doorstep. So Pentecost was a timely reminder that God had not forgotten his, his Edenic vision, which was what to see the nations blessed through his people. And finally, Pentecost is significant to us because of the power received. Now, I'm talking about real power, not, not the power of the superheroes of the, the Marvel Universe. This is real power. Let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now seriously, who actually likes waiting? How many of you are waiting for the 23rd of, of May, or 28th of May? where HBL will, you know, will, will be finished and you enter into your holiday. Or how many of you are waiting for the 13th of June? When you think phase two, heightened alert, we're going to something else. You see, Jesus commanded his disciples to wait. Something very difficult to do, but was very necessary because for them to continue his mission after his ascension, they must receive something. They must receive power. They must receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit's baptism. Why? Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is mission critical. That means you cannot continue Christ's mission without this baptism. Like you cannot, you know, you cannot have uh, HBL or work from home without Wi-Fi. You cannot have bubble tea without pearls. And you cannot be God's uh, witnesses without this empowerment, without divine assistance. That's the first thing. The event at Pentecost connects the Old Testament with the New. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was to commemorate the giving of the law of God. But in the New, it was to mark the giving of God's Holy Spirit, whereby the church is birthed, and by, whereby humanity is empowered to obey the law. Because Paul says it this way, Paul says, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we can see this evidence in, how, um, in the before and after of the disciples. Before they were empowered with the Holy Spirit, they were fearful, they were huddled together. After they were empowered with the Holy Spirit, they began to preach the gospel with boldness. And they went forth uh, everywhere to fulfill that commission that, that Christ gave them. So to be witnesses for, for Christ, we also need something. We also need divine provision, which God has so amply uh, provided. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, the spirit baptism, accompanied with the phenomenon of speaking in other tongues, was not a one-time occurrence. In fact, Luke records for us at least two other definite occasions. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentile Cornelius and his household, and they began to speak with other tongues. In Acts chapter 19, the disciples of John, the Baptist at Ephesus, and one very likely occurrence in Acts chapter 8, among the new dis uh, believers at Samaria. So, Peter tells us that our reconciliation with God is not one, but twofold. 
Okay, our salvation in Christ is firstly a repentance, right? It's in repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. But secondly, it is also in the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit made available to us and to all subsequent generations. So the question is, is forgiveness of sin still available today? If it is, so also is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just one, it's two, right? Receiving uh, by repenting and the other one by receiving the Holy Spirit. And finally, and, and, and really crucially, it is about divine empowerment. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the, of the earth. And so if you're still with us, type in the chat, power. Power. Without a proper supernatural uh, realm kind of worldview, we might actually miss the significance of Acts 1 and 2. You see, Christ came to deal, yes, with our sin. Uh, he came to, re, uh, to, to help us in our sin, to, to release us from that, uh, our depravity and our death. But not only that, He came to also declare victory over Satan and the principalities. And thus, setting free of those who, who were held captive by these same powers of darkness. As Pastor Wilson shared last week, you see, these powers will not give up their domain without a fight. Remember, these are spiritual powers. So it is important for us to note that the Great Commission to make disciples of every nation cannot be fulfilled if we only rely on what? The visible, the physical, and human means. That is not supposed to be. We're not contending with flesh and blood for the deliverance and salvation of the unsafe. And hence, our weapons must transcend flesh and blood. To successfully fulfill the mission of Christ uh, to all the nations, to, to spread the gospel to all the nations, we need divine power and we need di divine uh, weapons. So the Eden Project can only be undertaken by those um, who have this supernatural divine empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because missions, evangelism, discipleship, first to last, require this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's help and empowerment is fully necessary, not, not optional. That's why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is imperative and mission critical for the successful continuation of Christ's mission to gather the unsaved into His kingdom. So without a restored supernatural realm worldview, we may hold to a, a cessationist view, which means we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit has ceased, doing away with signs and wonders, including the speaking in other tongues, because we will consider them as non-essential in sharing the gospel. We are rather content with, what? with uh, what is rational and what is reasonable. But this often leads us to uh, an, an exciting routine or a predictable rut as Christians. But we today as the church is the new, the reconstituted divine and human family that is empowered to be God's restored images. We're in partnership with the supernatural. We are enabled to effectively bring the gospel to others at the right time for the right need. So to me, speaking, praying, praising in tongues is the most natural way of encountering the divine, the miraculous and it gives and, and uh, it helps me exercise and express the supernatural dimension in ministry. To me, it is the deepest form of communication and communion 
with God. It awakens me. It reminds me that Christ specifically instructed his disciples to wait for the Spirit's empowerment, empowerment before they embarked on the mission. So that is really vital, not just for them, but for you and me. I remember the time when we had the J333 on site, and we could still do that. And the one who was leading was asking us to pray for a particular nation, for the gospel, uh, for the people to come to know God. And so he said, let's pray. Let's pray in the Spirit. And so we went, we prayed in tongues, and I was praying, praying, and there was a particular word that came to me, you know, somehow uh, as the Spirit gave utterance, I didn't know what it meant. And so I kept, you know, praying that particular word. And after the, the prayer meeting, uh, a pastor came to me. She was just sitting next to me. And she, at one time, she was a missionary in that particular nation. You know. And she said, hey, Pastor Ming-Chan, do you know when you were praying that word, do you know what that means in the language of that nation that she was a missionary over? She said, the word that you said again and again was the word light. And somehow, by the, uh, by what, uh, by the words that the Holy Spirit gave me, I was praying for light for that nation. So whenever I go into uh, a time of praising or praying in, in tongues, you know, it, may, it may sound like a babble to me, but it's never gibberish. It's something of the Holy Spirit, something of the supernatural that's working with me in the natural. So in that sense, I really feel the dimension of the divine and the human family working together as God's images. So Pentecost underscores this. The supernatural person, presence and power of the Holy Spirit as critical to our mission. All right, so we know at Pentecost, the first Pentecost, Babel was reversed, the Eden project resumed, and the power received. So what are some of, some of, this, uh, some of the ramifications of this? Okay, two. I'll give you two. The first is this, that the missional movement of the church is always gathered and scattered. Okay, some of you would know this in your studies, right? These two words, centripetal and centrifugal. Okay, the church in the mission employs a bidirectional approach. First, a centripetal gathering for discipleship, gathered together. But also then a centrifugal scattering for evangelism. You see, pre-COVID days, we used to gather. We used to gathering once or twice a week for worship, discipleship, and fellowship, whether in the main church congregation or in your small groups. And then we will be scattered to be the gospel wherever we are, at home, at school, at work, for the rest of the week. Now, there's always a difficulty connecting between the, uh, the dots, uh, connecting the dots between the scattering, the gathering and the scattering, because there will be a time lapse between the two. Seriously, if you're listening to this sermon now, gather to listen. But by the time of dinner, you have forgotten what we gathered for. So this space is very difficult. But the church online today, the church where you are today, has actually mitigated this difficulty. Because we do not have to travel physically between the two anymore. We are gathered now virtually, virtually from every scattered venue across the nation and beyond. When this online service gathering is done, when you switch off your TV or you close your devices, you do not have to cross a white space to go to your mission field. The, the mission field is right where you are, your family, your neighbors. You are already the scattered church strategically poised to fulfill Christ's mission. What is left for you and me is to be empowered, to be equipped, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the first ramification. The second ramification is that new methods by means of the Spirit fulfill the unchanging mission. What have we learned? That in this pandemic, 
we learn that the mission remains the same, but the methods must change. But what ensures the changing methods fulfill the unchanging mission is the supernatural means provided by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit can use any and all methods available to accomplish His mission. So how about before you next uh, post your uh, before you post your next TikTok video, why do you ask the Holy Spirit? How can I use this to glorify you, God? How can I use this to be a witness for Christ? How can I use this to share the gospel? Because God can use any and every means when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. So in this light, the work of cross-border missions has also taken a new form. Some of you are already involved in this, where we can go online to minister and to, to disciple people anywhere in this world, right from our living rooms. You know, this is so powerful and so poetic in so many ways. And thank God for technology. More of us can and more of us should be involved in this form of missions. New methods, but empowered by the same Holy Spirit to fulfill the same mission. You know, we don't have to wait for phase two heightened alert to end before we can effectively continue Christ's mission. The church premises might be inaccessible at this time, but the church, you and me, the people of God, we are always open to do great exploits for the Lord. But like the church in the book of Acts, may the Holy Spirit propel us and send us forth in His power to be Christ's witnesses from our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Amen. What's our big idea today? We are to continue Christ's mission to the nations with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But before we pray, I want us all just to open our hearts before the Lord. Perhaps as, as you were hearing this message, your heart was stirred. You say, God, I find myself powerless to live this Christian life. And I don't find myself effective as a witness for Christ to those who are around me. But don't despair, as we have heard today. God can fill you and refill you with the Holy Spirit. Because we're not supposed to do the ministry, not the mission, to fulfill the mission of God on our own abilities. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He is the gift from God, sent not just by the Father, but sent by the Father and the Son. And it's promised to all who will call upon the Lord. Or perhaps you have not received um, a baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You know, as Joel leads us in, in song, I want you to just look to God in worship and just to, to tell God, just to tell God, I desire, Lord, for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I desire for this infilling that you have promised to all who call upon you. And so, Father, Listen to the cry of everyone as we come before you, as we open our hearts before you, as we bear our thoughts before you. Holy Spirit, come minister to us. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on me now. I need your anoint, come in your power. I love you, Holy Spirit. You're captivating my soul And every day I grow to love you more I'm 
reaching for your heart. You hold my life in your hands, drawing me closer to you. I feel your power in you. Nothing compares to this place where I can see you face to face. I worship you in spirit and in truth. We worship you. able to, I, I may I request you just to stand, if you can, and lift your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. God, we, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So wherever we are listening from, watching from, Father, we first of all, I want to thank you for the provision of your Holy Spirit. This Pentecost weekend, we are reminded that uh, not only is Babel reversed. Eden Project resumed. But so important that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is mission critical, not optional at all if we were to fulfill our roles as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And it is true, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the accompanying gifts, signs and wonders that the supernatural nature of the divine and human family as your images can be purely and truly made manifest. Father, today as we come before you, Lord, we, we confess that we are inadequate. That God, we cannot, we cannot fulfill the mission, your mission, your mandate to bring the gospel to the nations without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that we will work with the Holy Spirit and that you, O oh God, will allow us to be instruments, God, of the Holy Spirit. So today, Lord, we declare we need the power, the person, and the presence of the Holy Spirit more than ever before. Come, Lord, fill us, refresh us, anoint us for this mission. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 